With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 214. It's titled, Should You Trade Foreign Currencies? A few weeks ago, I got an email from Alex. He is one of the transcribers for my podcast. And he mentioned, in addition to transcription services, he trades foreign currencies. He pointed me to his page on DarwinX, which is an independent trading platform tracks performance, risk, and allows you to allocate capital to other traders. DarwinX has over a 1,000 traders whose strategies you can buy into and out of, just like stocks. Alex wanted to know how long of a track record he would need before I was willing to invest with him. He could be a, a very talented trader. His account is up 36%. The challenge is he's only been trading for less than 10 months. And total capital that he invested, at least if I understand how the, the DarwinX describes it, seems to be less than 100 euros. So he's just getting started. He's made some good trades. But I told him I probably would never be willing to invest in his strategy. And not because I was rude, it's because I wouldn't invest in any foreign currency trading strategy. And I wanted to do this episode to to explain why. Why I think we shouldn't trade Forex as individuals in an area of the market that, if you do want to trade, I think can be much more profitable and certainly has been more profitable to me as I have invested in it. I explored the DarwinX platform. It's quite impressive, and I really appreciate the transparency that you you can see very closely how well a trader has done, what the performance has been, how often trades have been successful, how much risk they've taken, how much leverage they've deployed. And so lots of transparency. I also got on an introductory webinar that DarwinX had put together. And in it, they said, independent traders are the future of financial evolution because technology lets anyone trade from home. We are glad you joined this movement where more and more people have stopped becoming a passive investor and are on their journey to become a winning, consistent, active trader. Are you ready to join the movement? A lot of new investors are. They they get on to a site like DarwinX, 
or XE, which is an, another platform that, that has tools for sending or trading. Now, I don't know if, if XE is so much for trading foreign currency, but they have tools to sort of assist it in terms of even just converting from one currency to the other. And in their introduction, what is Forex? They say, you may have noticed the value of currencies goes up and down every day. What most people don't realize is there is a foreign exchange market, or Forex for short, where you can potentially profit from the movement of these currencies. The best-known example is George Soros, who made a billion dollars in a day by trading currencies. Later in this episode, we're going to get to how George Soros made a billion dollars and see that it was a very different environment. Now, XC points out, be aware, however, that currency trading involves significant risk and individuals can lose a substantial part of their investment. The foreign exchange market is the largest financial market in the world. NASDAQ reports on average $5 trillion are traded every day in terms of the average trading volume in foreign exchange. It's an over-the-counter market, which means there's not a centralized exchange. There's platforms that can coordinate trade. Sometimes you can do it with your bank. So it's very much an over-the-counter. It's not centralized. XE points out that, that many firms don't charge commissions, but there's still a fee. You're going to pay some type of bid-ask spread. If you exchange, if you're at the airport and exchange from the dollars to a euro, you'll often not necessarily get the best rate. They're making money on the spread. They won't give necessarily the market or the current market exchange rate. They might adjust it a little bit. And the trading platforms will do the same thing. XC points out there's 24 hours trading. You can trade anytime. You can use leverage, which will magnify the potential gains and losses. And you can focus on just a few currency, currency pairs, the euro versus the dollar, the dollar versus the yen, rather than having to focus on thousands of stocks that are out there. Now, the mechanics of trading is if you believe a, a currency is going to strengthen, let's say you believe the euro is going to strengthen, you would convert dollars to euros. And, and if euros strengthened relative to the dollar and the dollar weakened, then you would make money because as you would switch back from euros into dollars, you will have made a profit. So if you're shorting a currency, you're effectively saying you believe the currency will go down, that you will not be able to get as much of that currency relative to the a currency, its currency pair, that strengthens. So if you're long, you believe the currency will go up. Now, what many investors don't realize when they think about that is because this is an over-the-counter market, we have to ask who's on the other side of the trade. If I enter into a currency transaction, I convert dollars to euros, somebody 
sold me those euros for dollars. And if the euro strengthened, I made money. But whoever took the dollars in exchange for euros, they lost money. The, the net return across the entire market in terms of traders participating, it's zero. For every winner, there's a loser. And if there's some type of commission or a spread, that means that the expected return for investing in, in foreign currencies is negative. Episode 43, 143 was comparing investing, speculating, and gambling. We said investing was participating, buying an asset that had a positive expected return, typically because there was cash flow or income. And often that cash flow was growing over time, so it had a positive expected return. Gambling was something with a negative expected return. And foreign currency was something where there was some disagreement whether the return will be positive or negative. Now, foreign, foreign exchange, it, it's somewhere in between. It's not gambling in the sense of going to Vegas, where you absolutely know if you play long enough, you're going to lose money. But generally speaking, if you trade foreign exchange long enough, your expected return is zero before fees, and it's negative after the spread or fees. So in effect, it's like gambling. In episode 39 of Money for the Rest of Us, it was titled, What Drives Currency Exchange Rates? And we looked at who were the participants in this $5 trillion financial market. First was businesses, businesses that are trading for goods and services and need to convert to a different currency. They're exporting or, or importing. They're, they're a big player in the foreign exchange market. market. Investors, if you want to invest overseas and buy stocks, that, that is denominated in a foreign currency and, and your dollars needs to be, if you're based in, let's say the U.S., need to be converted to those foreign currencies. So that's another aspect of it. Governments are huge players in the foreign currency market. They certainly influence the central banks in terms of adjusting interest rates, but governments can also buy and sell their, their home currency or, or foreign currencies. If they're trying to, if they have a certain policy, if they want to, let's say, strengthen their currency or keep it stronger, they might be going into the foreign exchange markets and buying, essentially buying their currency in the foreign exchange market and selling some other currency, so converting it. And there are speculators. There's, there's individual traders, such as we see on DarwinX, that are doing trades and, and making a bet that a particular currency will strengthen or weaken. Now, what about George Soros? He's a hedge fund manager. He made a billion dollars in 1992 betting against the British pound. At the time, there was no euro. There was a precursor to it called the European 
exchange rate mechanism. It was created in 1979, and the European countries decided that it was in their best interest not to let their currencies float relative to each other, but to fix it. And they decided to fix it to the German Deutschmark, and it was to be a band, a band of plus or minus 6% of the agreed-upon rate that the country entered into this European Exchange Rate Mechanism, or ERM, for short. Now, once you've established a, a fixed price for your currency, there's ways that you can influence that. One is by adjusting interest rates. As you, as you raise interest rates, it makes your country more attractive to invest in because investors in bonds and other securities can, can earn more. And so, all things being equal, if rates in one country are going up, there'll be a demand for their currency because investors want to convert their home currency into that currency that, that has higher interest rates or a country has higher interest rates and they'll convert it. And, and as a result, that then you can earn those higher interest rates. The government, as we mentioned, can also influence it by buying and selling their currency and trying to keep it on target. But sometimes there's a conflict in the sense that you want to strengthen your currency so you keep interest rates high. This is central banks we're talking about that, that's setting the policy rate and influencing longer-term rates. But at, sometimes when your economy is slow, slowing, you want to, to lower interest rates in order to get households and businesses borrowing more in order to spur to the economy to, to grow faster. And so there's this conflict between protecting, keeping that security or that currency within that particular band, keeping it strong, and making sure the economy is doing well. And that's the problem that the British pound ran into. It entered the ERM in 1990 at an exchange rate uh, of one pound equal 2.95 Deutschmarks. And the first couple years went fine. But then a recession hit in 1991, and the UK started lowering interest rates, and the British pound began to weaken, and it got lower and lower. It was on the lower end of its band. The unemployment rate in England went from 7.7% to 12.7%. So the economy was in a recession. And when and economies are weak, their currencies are also weak because investors want to invest in economies and countries that are growing fast and are robust. And so just having a, a economy in a recession can potentially weaken it if there are other areas of the world that are experiencing faster economic growth. Meanwhile, George Soros, he's 62. He runs a hedge fund called the Quantum Fund. It's a macro fund betting on macroeconomic trends. Been running it since 1970. He, he's rich, but not as well known as he is today. 
And I got this account from the blog Priceonomics. It's written by Rohan Dar, D-H-A-R. Did, a, did an excellent job describing this trade. It's September 1992, September 16th, 1992. Soros sees he's been building a position shorting the, the British pound. But come mid-September, he sees essentially this, this European exchange rate mechanism. It's like a dam that there's, there's downward pressure for the pound to fall in price. But that floor of that band is like a dam, keeping the currency from falling because the British government is buying pounds. This, this blog account says Soros and his fund increased their short position against the British pound from $1.5 billion to $10 billion. Soros borrowed and sold pounds from anyone that he could. And that morning, September 16th, the British officials responded by buying 1 billion pounds at 8.40 a.m. It had no effect. By 9 a.m., Finance Minister Norman Lamont contacted Prime Minister John Major, told him they couldn't possibly buy up enough pounds to keep the currency propped up, that the only option would be to raise interest rates. John Major didn't want to do that, but the pound, the pressure kept falling. And, and eventually he, he agreed. And so at 11 a.m., the British government announced they increased interest rates 2%, from 10% to 12%. But the pound continued to fall. Ultimately, there was nothing can, they could do. It's like that, that water pressure behind the dam. And at 7.30 that night, they announced that the, the British government was exiting the European exchange rate mechanism. The pound fell immediately 15% against the Deutschmark and 25% against the U.S. dollar. Soros' quantum fund went from $15 billion up to $22 billion. They get 20% of the profits they made over a billion dollars on that. But it is a very different environment from where we are today because now most currencies float freely. You don't see those dams around there where a currency is ready to break. There wasn't a whole lot of downside to Soros's trade. It was either the pound was going to fall or maybe it would stabilize, but there was not a lot of pressure given the, the macroeconomic environment for the, the pound to appreciate. Now, before we look at the currency markets today and an area that I think there actually is an opportunity for traders to trade, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. 
Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. One advantage that Soros had is he could actually get enough capital and borrow enough and short enough pounds to actually have an influence. Obviously, we as individual traders can't do that. And I don't, I don't know what the foreign exchange market size was in 1992, but at $5 trillion, it's got to be much larger today. And for example, so I, I looked at a chart since the euro was established in 1999 through 2018. And you look at it and you try to figure out, well, which way would you bet? Is the euro going to strengthen or is the dollar going to strengthen? Right now, the euro to U.S. dollar exchange rate is one euro buys a dollar 17 cents. And we've talked about how interest rates influence that. The spread between the U.S. 10-year Treasury note and the 10-year German Bund is 2.5%. U.S. Treasury 10-year Treasuries are yielding 2.5% more than German bonds. That is the highest, the widest spread since the euro was introduced. That suggests that maybe the euro should be the weakest that it's ever been relative to the dollar. But it's not. It's at a dollar seventeen. One euro is a dollar seventeen. Last year, when the spread was narrower, it was one euro bought a dollar four. So the euro was much weaker when the spread was narrow. Now that the spread is wider, the dollar, the, the euro is actually strengthened 20% at one point relative to the dollar. When the, the, the exact opposite the direction you think it would have gone. It went up to a dollar 20, uh, one euro bought a dollar 25. And now it's down to a dollar 17. $1.17 is what you got for one euro back in 1999. By the year 2000, a weekend is 0.85. Then it appreciated 
little by little to, to 1.55 per euro in 2007. Then it was kind of range bound from 2007 to 2014, kind of between $1.15 and $1.45 per euro. But then it weakened again in 2004. I... I look at that and I think, if I'm going to trade foreign currencies, a market where for every winner, there's a loser, I wouldn't know which way to bet on the euro versus the dollar. And I looked at, it was interesting, I went on DarwinX and I looked at some of their successful traders. I looked at those, a couple that had more than a million dollars in assets that others had invested in. There's one called THA451. Investors have allocated $1.4 million to, to his trading strategy. He's been doing this since 2015, beginning of 2015. So just over three years, he's up 491%. That's very good. Be tempting to invest in him. The money he's actually managing, like his own capital at stake, is only $5,200. But he's attracted $1.4 million from other investors. It was up 128% in 2015, 36% in 2016, 2017, 79% in 2017, and is up like 6% this year. Here's what's interesting about it. He lost money on more days than he gained money. He lost money on 256 trading days. He gained it on 250 trading days. And only 2% of his trades were profitable. Most of his trades lost money. And most of his trades he held only for a few hours. Their trading strategy, is, he says, is based on trading high-impact news events in particular, central bank monetary policy announcements. The strategy seeks to exploit mispricings in the currency markets in relation to the policy shifts. He's wrong 98% of the time. But when he's right, he's been right big. Another investor is LVS, Long Vision FX. $2.1 million he's attracted says he has greater than 10,000 euro invested in the strategy. DarwinX has actually invested $250,000 in his strategy. Well, I'm, I say he, I don't know if it's a he, it could be, could be a she, it's a business. They, they say they use several different strategies. They're up 272%, but they lost money on 573 days and gained it on 577 about two-thirds of their trades are profitable. So there's different ways to, to go about this. And, and they have. But, but the question is, could you do it? I couldn't do it. I, I, I don't invest in markets where the expected return is negative. I have no informational insights over government, business, or other speculators. It, it, it's gambling. It would be gambling for me. Rather than try to trade in a $5 trillion market that is dominated by institutions and governments 
and businesses, why not focus on a smaller market where most of the, the investors are individuals? The closed-end fund market. These are commingled vehicles that are like mutual funds, but they trade on an exchange. And I've mentioned them in earlier podcasts. It's a $275 billion market. There's only 530 closed-end funds in the U.S. And because there isn't a mechanism, they just, they'll, they'll do an IPO for a closed-end fund, and its price is whatever it trades at on the exchange. And then it's buying securities, usually levered, and they're worth something. So you have the value of the underlying holdings, which is used to create the, the calculate the net asset value, and you have the price. And there's usually a disconnect between the two. Sometimes they sell at a premium. Never buy a closed-end fund at a premium. That's like buying, paying $1.20 for a dollar worth of assets. But there's times where closed-end funds are selling at a discount. You can buy a dollar's worth of assets for 85 cents. Now, just because a closed-end fund's selling at a discount doesn't mean that discount's going to narrow. But why I like closed-end funds is because it's dominated by individual investors, and they get fearful. And, and there's times when closed-end funds sell at a much wider discount than average because investors are trying to get out. They want liquidity. They don't care about the price and the discount narrows. And, and I, I tend to buy closed-end funds during periods of market turmoil. Once the dust looks like it's about to settle, then I'll buy them. And I'll buy the, buying them, I'm looking at their historical discount to net asset value, and I'll buy it when that discount is much wider than its historical average. And you can... Get that information on a website called cefconnect.com. But why, why not trade? If you're going to trade, trade in something where you get great transparency to see that it's at a discount. It has a positive expected return because it's generating income. So it's investing. You're trading in investing vehicles. You're not speculating or gambling in something where that's a zero-sum game. In fact, the expectation is negative after fees and commission, which, which, which is what you see in the foreign exchange market. And you're competing. Who's on the other side of the trade in closed-end funds? Other individual investors. It's not something that's dominated by trading bots or algorithms or other sophisticated strategies. It's just individuals primarily panicking when they're trying to get out. So I don't trade in foreign exchange. I'm not saying that there are not talented traders. Clearly there are. I mean, you, you see the two that I highlighted. They've done very well. It could be talent. It could be skill. I don't know. My transcriptionist could be equally as skilled. Time will tell as he continues to trade. I wish him well in that. That's episode 214. Show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.com. 
Why there? Please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide. It's an email I send each week with links to, to that week's episode. Other, an essay that I do each week, write some of my best writings on that week's topics, things that didn't make it into the podcast. Other thoughts on earlier episodes that I want to share and other valuable content. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I share with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not provided investment advice. I've not considered your specific financial situation at all. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. <laughs>